0: Welcome to Let's Talk Sales. This is the podcast for anyone who's interested in growing sales. Today's episode of Let's Talk Sales is brought to you by our webinar, Grow Revenue as an Executive Leader, How to Align, Collaborate, and Execute to Ace It. We partnered with former Let's Talk Sales guest, Carson Tate, from Working Simply, and in that webinar, you'll learn best practices for driving effective revenue generation. Be sure to watch the recording today. You can find it in the notes for today's show at criteriaforsuccess.com pod 286. This is Elizabeth Frederick, and we have a really special guest today. He is the founder and CEO, as well as the executive director of the Phoenix chapter of the Global Chamber, which is the only chamber of commerce that's located in hundreds of locations and helps executives grow their companies from anywhere to everywhere. He's also an advisor for the U.S. Global Leadership Coalition, and as you probably would guess based on those first two things, he is an expert in taking businesses international. He's a prolific speaker and recently launched a podcast called the Global Chamber Hour. Definitely check that out. As soon as you're done listening to this, (laughs) he has lived and traveled all over the world and has apparently visited 49 states and over 60 countries. I bet he's feeling a little stir crazy right now. And he now splits his time between Palo Alto and Scottsdale. So welcome to the show, Doug Brunke.
1: Thank you, Elizabeth. It's a pleasure and honor to be here.
0: I am so excited to talk to you. I think this is gonna be a lot of fun. Um, I just shared really high level elements of your bio, but obviously that's not who you are. So I'd love it if you could introduce yourself to our listeners and maybe tell them a little bit about the journey, how you got to where you are today.
1: Sure. Thank you very much. I I am a New Yorker originally. And so a lot of my early background was, was based on uh, being born in Westchester County, living on Long Island and in Queens new york uh, which is now the most international county in the in the united states right it's an amazing place now back then it was a little bit of a scarier place I, i along the way became a chemical engineer and my focus in my early part of my career was more on sustainability but lo and behold after several assignments with the dupont company Nobody would take a position for international sales in Asia for the Teflon business. And uh, since no one would take it, I volunteered. I was a young guy, too young to take it. But but nonetheless, they let me do it. Um, And I think a key part of that was my boss woman. And her boss was an African-American, which back 30 plus years ago, that was a little bit unusual. And so I think they both said, hey, you're discriminating against this guy because he's young. He could do the work. (laughs) And lo and behold, I, I did the work and eventually moved overseas and really got the international blood in my system. And so I'm a I'm a foodie. I love different cultures. I love. The opportunity of the world, you know, 95% of the world lives outside the U.S. And so why would any company just think about doing business only in the U.S.? It doesn't make sense. And so those were some of the driving forces that have led me to where I am today and the formation of the global chamber five years ago.
0: That makes uh, so much sense, Doug. What... Is there a story or an example that you can look back on in your life that gave you that passion for global business where you can kind of see the seed planted? Was it that first opportunity um, or was there something else that that you experienced?
1: Well, in retrospect, I think earlier I'll give you the one big hit over the head, but I'll start with I think part of it was early in my Mm -hmm. my life. Mm -hmm. My grandparents were from Germany. They left Germany. Uh, in 1932-33 to, to, for the new country uh, together, unmarried. And, and in fact, the other side of my family left Poland. So everybody in my family left to the United States, kind of the typical immigration story. But in my case like some otherworldly heavenish place. And so when we would pick them up at JFK Airport, you've probably seen in that movie um, with uh, mm. Leonardo DiCaprio. I'm trying mm. to think of the name of that movie where they were chasing him all over. They did a lot of that movie in the old TWA terminal, which they're turning into a hotel now, I believe. But it was such an otherworldly design of a building and they had a black Lincoln a 63, 64 black Lincoln and this big white futuristic looking building back in the 60s, it put something in my head that the world was this magical place. And so fast forward, you know, 20, 30 years. And when I got this opportunity to go overseas, my first trip was to Korea, South Korea. I arrived a day early, Saturday night, and when I woke up in the morning, it was snowed the, the night mm-hmm. before, and I just walked around Seoul that next day, and it was so beautiful and so different, and the markets were so active, I it just totally blew my mind, and it was like from this point forward, I've got to do this. This is just too much for me to handle.
0: Absolutely. That makes so much sense. And I, I find that so much of what we get excited about, um, later in our life, we can kind of translate back to the stories that we heard maybe from grandparents and from, um, you know, past generations and the experiences that we had when we were so young. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to, um, in sales and sales leadership roles, who they can look back to, you know, selling a newspaper or having, um, you know, Girl Scout cookies, whatever it was when they were very young. And that bug a lot of times gets you. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about the global chamber and what it is that you do there?
1: Sure. Um, So I'm the founder, I founded it five years ago. and, And actually, that also dates back to the example that you provided. My hero in my life was was my grandfather who came in from Germany. When he was 50 years old in Queens, New York, he was a partner with a fellow in an auto parts machine shop in Queens. And he overheard him speaking, his partner, that Joe, my grandfather, would would never be an owner. He would never be part of the business. He he was a explaining that to somebody else. My grandfather overheard it and he picked up his, his lunch. Uh, he went home to my grandmother and he nailed a, a, a nail in the wall in the basement and said, I'm starting oh, my wow. own business. And my grandmother went ballistic, <laughs> like, you know, my because my mother was 13 and my uncle was eight. And she said, absolutely not, Joe. You're going back and you're getting your job back. This is ridiculous. And so he didn't listen to her and she, despite her fret, he became an entrepreneur at 50 years old and ultimately a very successful one with that business. So that was my inspiration of saying, you know, if I'm looking at the market and seeing what's available, all of these companies should be doing international business. Many of them that do it struggle and fail. And so how do we make that easier? What are some of the things that can be done? And so I imagined a world where there was a chamber of commerce everywhere so that if someone was in uh, New York and they wanted to grow to Chicago or San Francisco or Tokyo or Moscow or Paris, wherever they want to go, that they could have a resource on the other end. And so that was kind of the beginning of the dream. My grandfather inspired me to be brave enough to, to step into this world that I barely understood and people it took a while for people to understand. And so off we went and and now we're building out in 525 wow. metros around the world, basically everywhere around the world, helping companies grow and it's just so satisfying. I think about my grandfather and thank him every day.
0: I, I absolutely love that story. And um, it is such a great example. When you see somebody um, do something that's unexpected or um, you know seems a little brave and and unusual, it gives you that idea that it's possible and realistic. And so often again, we look back at those stories. Um, you know, a parent, a grandparent, somebody um, ventured out into something new and exciting and um, it gives you the confidence to know that you can do that yourself. Now, I want to start the bulk of this conversation today with a really basic kind of dumb question, but I'm sure some of our listeners will appreciate hearing your response to it. Um, You touched on this already, but I'd love to get a little deeper into it. You're helping companies take their businesses both national and international. Why is that so important and why is that something that, um, that they should be thinking about?
1: So I've been fortunate to have a life where I have been involved in exporting and international business. And so I kind of took it for granted when I retired from DuPont, I I came to learn that less than one percent of US companies mm. exports. So less than one of hundred export. And yet, you know, most of the world is outside the U.S., 95% is. So so that seems like a great opportunity for the U.S. to gain uh, exporting dollars. And that's kind of free money because if we are able in the United States or quite honestly, any country, able to produce a product or service and ship it somewhere, money Mm -hmm. comes in. And money coming in is a good thing, whether it's your business or it's a country. You know, when it's coming into the country, The positives are that you're able to spend that money on education and roads and infrastructure and other investments within the country. And so the more exports, the better. And so when I see a less than 1% number, I get, I got Mm -hmm. excited. Uh, I saw the opportunity around the world and said, you know, let's do this. And so the most important thing to your question is that it helps you as an individual, because there's plenty of opportunities around the world, so you can make more money. From a country perspective, it's a great thing because more of this money is coming in, and more money is typically a good thing. And and it's you know too much money might be a high-level problem, uh, as some describe. But 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 working on things, especially if you've worked it out in one country. You know there are very highly likely chances if you've got something worked out one place that you can do something in a in a different country in a different place without too much startup cost and be successful. And so when I see that opportunity, hence uh, the the importance of more people thinking about Absolutely. it.
0: Absolutely, and like you said, it's. It seems so basic and so simple, but I think a lot of companies, a lot of business owners are just focused very much on their their local community and not really thinking about the fact that if, if people want what it is that you do here, people are the same all around the world. And so people in other places will want it too, unless it's something... Super, super weird, and very much based in the U.S. Or, or your local area. But it's amazing to think even of things that are traditionally um seen as very American and how popular they've become elsewhere. You think of the NBA and how it's become um so incredibly uh, popular in Asia, specifically in China, and the the ways that you know teams are actually physically going over there to play. They did that at the beginning of the year, and the um the owners obviously have to deal with controversies and, and being careful about what it is that they say. But it's a big source of revenue for them, even though it's historically been viewed as, as a pretty, you know, American thing. It's national basketball association, not international. Um, and it's really exciting to see um, new markets appear for things that we did. One think of the
1: things ahead. I I I totally agree. And one of the kind of hidden benefits of, of being international is the concept that If you're able to sell in other countries, it gives Mm -hmm. you insights into why people buy what you have. And one of the great examples of that for me, since most of my career with DuPont was in the automotive Mm -hmm. industry, you know, a lot of my time was in the 90s and the early 2000s where the U.S. automotive industry had fallen behind and not, had not been engaged on a global basis. And I knew from my own experience in the DuPont company selling materials like rubber and plastics mm-hmm. into automotive that that our suppliers, our customers who were selling around the world got insights on what quality was required. And, and it gave them ideas and thoughts about New production techniques and new products, and so it opens your mind to new opportunities. So that now you can actually go back and sell better in your original country uh, at lower cost, and probably come up with other products as well. And so, you know, my own passion around the automotive industry was th- was so frustrating that the U.S. companies had kind of retracted mm-hmm. and kind of given up on the world market. And I I believe that was totally wrong. And just like in any major industry, we got to be engaged because there's so many other benefits to it. And so whether it's a, the car company or your company or whoever's listening, you know, in terms of your company, by by being international and, and presenting what you have on an international scale, you just learn so much that's so valuable.
0: Absolutely. So I think the case for why people should be interested in expanding internationally has been very firmly made. Um, But I know a lot of people who may have thought about it in the past, or maybe even tried in the past, have encountered challenges and problems that have made them think it's not possible or not feasible to expand internationally. So I know you help people deal with a lot of those challenges. I'd love to hear some of the common Challenges that you've um, heard about, as well as what are some best practices and tips that that listeners can apply as they're looking to expand internationally.
1: Sure. So, definitely seen problems mm-hmm. over the years and challenges. You know, walking into something like this, you 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 need to have a growth mm-hmm. mindset, right? You need to have that growth mentality. You can't be Kind of a, a laissez-faire, you know, not really motivated to to learn, uh, to be to go after the international markets. You have to recognize that it's going to be a little bit different. There's cultures involved. There's additional administrative uh, issues involved. There's it's it's a higher mm-hmm. bar to cross. And so one of the really big challenges is. You know, jumping into international right away, right when you're starting a business um, might not be the best idea. Getting your processes down on a regional, local basis, just so that you know how to pay people and you've got kind of the basics of how to run a business down. And then once you've got that down, start to understand kind of the next level. So I think one of the biggest issues is sometimes we'll see people who are not quite ready for prime time, if you will. You know, this is prime time. You've got to be ready to 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 react, to make some good decisions, to handle challenges and problems, to be flexible around cultures and have some basic understanding of that. And quite honestly, you know, that's all well and good, but 95% of the time it's just okay. showing up. That goes back to the just the basic professionalism of your company. You know, when people re- send you an email, you've got to respond, you know, in a, in, a, in a manner, not a week or two later. It's like, you've got to get to it. And if they have a quality complaint or some other issue, you've got to address it right away and so these are things that those of us that have been involved with international business have had either horror stories or success stories or both in my case i've had both Um, it's motivated me to be much more proactive and reactive and being there at, at, at all costs and also recognizing the differences around the world so that you can ask the right questions be flexible, be resilient, and be all the things you need to be to handle these big opportunities. They're they are they're big opportunities out there. The challenge is, you're gonna have to go after it a little bit different way. It's not gonna be the same as everything else. And so you've gotta have that mindset going.
0: Absolutely. Out. The analogy I immediately thought of when you were talking there is, let's say you're a company headquartered on the East Coast. I'm in New York, right? And you are, Doing a really good job at serving the East Coast market in the Eastern time zone. And then you decide you want to expand even to California and get across the country, and you haven't thought of um, the time difference and how that might impact when you need to be available in terms of customer support in terms of, um, you know, chat lines, phone lines, whatever it might be, you immediately need to at least expand. So you've got a, you know, a three hour coverage additional, um, just for that. And that's within one country, we're a big country here, Um, then you think about if you want to be serving people around the world, are you going to replicate some of those functions in that area, so that the time zone makes sense. Or instead, are you going to try to have, you know, 24 hour coverage from somewhere um, in the US or or wherever you happen to be located right now. And that's just one small thing. But testing out if you can handle it with a smaller time difference um, might be a good way to kind of step into uh, a bigger one. And, And it's just one, you know, small example. But I think it's You know evidence of how challenging it can be any of us um, who are used to doing a lot of business and conversations with people across the country you still have to kind of do that math in your head of when you're scheduling things and this is adding a significantly higher level of detail to that
1: no, no question. And you bring up a good point, because sometimes when you're expanding, you're repeating what you've done. So to be able to scale, you're repeating what's worked in the past. At some point, or many points, you might find that just repeating the same thing doesn't make sense. And you've got to take a step back and re refigure re- reconstruct. And so that's part, that's why jumping into international, when you're getting a business going is may not be the best idea it it could also be a spe- spectacular idea especially if you've got a lot of these capabilities but but you've got to be able to do those things along the way both you know scale repeat but also rethink all along the way you bring up the point about new york to to california when I I lived in Japan and lived in Singapore on on the overseas side. And when I I, I lived in Japan, I spoke Japanese and I was very much Mm -hmm. into the culture and the business community. And when we traveled to northern Japan to Akita Prefecture, kind of a, a snowy area in the winter, I noticed I couldn't understand them speaking Mm. Japanese. So they had a a dialect that was a little bit different and they had a different behavior and they had different styles. So, so the world, you know, to many people for Japan, for instance, would be, Oh, you know, Japan, you know, it's one thing. Well, even Japan isn't (laughs) one thing. It's multiple things. (laughs) So, so that's where the levels of, you know, sure it's, it's complex, but it's manageable if you're bite off, uh, each piece piece by piece and so so I, I want on the one hand uh, accentuate the fact that you know yes it's it can be uh, challenging but on the other hand it's not only fun and 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 profitable but um, it's doable uh, if, if you have the right mindset absolutely
0: I love that example because, again, um, you know, analogies to here, you think of uh, your stereotype and stereotypes are not people. So we need to remember that. But just it's, it's helpful sometimes for an exercise, a stereotype of a New Yorker compared to a stereotype of a Californian. Or this is a great example here, a stereotype of somebody from Alabama, because I had a client in Alabama. And I'm not originally from New York, but I found when I moved here that my speed of talking and walking kind of matched the city. And I have to intentionally, this is me slowing down <laughs> for the podcast. <laughs> and I felt like a cruel and terrible person. They kept having to ask me to slow down when I was talking to, to these people in Alabama. And it it's little things like that. If you can, um, if you're somebody who, if somebody has an accent, um, you find it really really difficult to understand what they're saying that's going to be especially challenging i find if somebody is speaking english with a, with a you know a, a thick accent that's a beautiful sign that clearly they speak another language as well as english and that's a whole lot better than i am with my you know two years of high school Spanish. So it's it's really a, a beautiful thing. And um, for yourself as an individual, kind of figuring out, am I the right person to to move to a different country? Or am I the right person to take the lead on um, on an international expansion initiative? I think one thing that you could evaluate for yourself is what is your comfort with interacting with different people um, that you meet in your own community already? Um, and when you've traveled already, if, if it for some reason, if it stresses you out, and there are people that that really just find it difficult, um, maybe somebody else in your organization is the person to really take the lead on something like this.
1: No, no, no question. We call, you know, what I've just described being part of the global Mm. tribe, you know, where, um, and the, the part I just described was somebody who loves global, they're, they love the fact that things are different, they embrace all of that. And, and when early on when we f- formed Global Chamber, one of our members said, you know, I love what Global Chamber is doing, but I don't think I'm a globe. <laughs> I don't think I'm a global tribe person. I'm I don't like that, but I want to make money. So he he added a second layer. So there's the global tribe, which includes people that maybe not as focused in on making profit, but then there's many of us that are. So it's kind of that group of uh, two groups. And then there's the people that just say, look, I've got a business and there's so much around the world. I don't really want to do it. I'm not really, I don't, you know, foreign food and other <laughs> things don't really interest me, but the opportunity is there. And I want to know more so that I can make some decisions to grow my business. So there's several different personalities that get involved with global chamber and what we're doing. And, you know, the more the merrier, the people that are not interested in global and not interested to make money and not really motivated to kind of get to the next level. Those are not (laughs) our people. So, so, everybody else. I knows. love
0: that because you're right. I mean, you might be personally uncomfortable with it, but if you can figure out how to get your organization um, to to be able to take advantage of these opportunities, um, it may also kind of expand your experience. Um, something else that you that you mentioned that I wanted to hone in on is that idea of um, sometimes establishing a routine and best practices, but having some room for flexibility. So if, for example, you can build out a playbook for this is how we develop a new location and you test it a few times, maybe each time going a little farther or something a little different, you can't let yourself be... absolutely tied to the rule book, right because there's always going to be something that goes outside the bounds but every time you use it and every time you evaluate what you're going to keep and what you might be removing is an opportunity to continue to improve and refine that process for moving forward and by the time you've done it a few times you likely are going to have a very clear list of here are the absolute You know bulletproof like we must 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 do these five things and then here are the two things where sometimes we encounter different situations and then here's the thing that every single company you know every place that we go to is a little bit different and we just kind of have to figure it out
1: (laughs) yeah that's one of the things that business people need to decide how they're going to handle it the the i've been in cases where especially in my dupont days i didn't fully understand this um, we would have a model of how we grow into uh-huh. a different area and invariably the feedback we would get from local people was well you know that's not going to work here and here's all the reasons why it won't work and so we ended up bending over backwards and doing a bunch of stuff quite honestly sometimes not uh-huh. valuable that it was it was mainly the person we were talking to we're working with on the ground was giving us wrong information because of their own paradigms. And so that's kind of the next level of thinking when you're growing and expanding. Global Chamber, you know, we've expanded of cities and I can tell you I'm still learning. You know, from that, but there have been people along the way that have said, well, that's never going to work. And this is what you need to do. And, you know, I, I walk away from those. And in some cases, I've actually listened and mm-hmm. failed, you know, because, you know, I didn't listen to it. So I'm, I'm using my gut a lot more now. Saying, you know, I think we know how this works. Yes, it needs to be tailored, but if somebody is telling me stuff that basically has to, we have to do a re, complete refiguration of what we're going about, it's probably yeah. not a good thing uh, that it's probably their problem and and we need to, to move on. And so any business needs to go through that because anybody that's selling through a distributor, for instance, will probably hear that. And that's where a little bit of experience, maybe a couple maybe low level mistakes that you make along the way will help you as you build up so that when you're getting into a little bit higher stakes, bigger sales, bigger opportunities around the world, that you've worked out that, Worry that process, and you're making better decisions all along the way.
0: I love that. That's such a such a great example, and something really to um, to think about is how often we've experienced where somebody had a personal preference and. They, they somehow made that the, the overwhelming reason that decisions had to be made, whether it's within your, your company and your team, right? You've got somebody on the team who likes a certain software um, or they like a certain way of running a meeting. And if that just gets established around that one person because they have a strong preference, it's a lot of times not the best a solution for everybody. And if you're doing that at an international level, if you've got one point of contact in a country, and they're saying, this is what we believe, this is how we do things, um, that's likely going to be that just that one person's perspective, at least a lot of it is. And then what one thing you have to think about is, what are the connotations and concerns and perceptions that different countries might have of the country that you're coming from? Because there is sometimes Um, I've seen this in in Europe and in other places, this idea, we don't want Americans coming in and telling us how to do what we do, right? (laughs) And thinking they know everything. And so sometimes people resist things. And we see this you know, even within companies, they resist it just because and just without even really evaluating it. So thinking about how even you present ideas and how um, you communicate with people is important because um, the pushbacks that you get, you you do have to actually listen and you do have to figure out um, how valid is this. But is it one person's opinion? Is it just a flash response that they don't want to change? Or is it something to really take seriously?
1: Uh, uh, Absolutely. I think another um, least responsibility that many of in the global tribe take is is to be an ambassador for mm-hmm. their country. And, and I'm not just talking about Americans now. I'm really talking about anyone that that from anywhere where you know they become you know representation of their country to people that they're dealing with outside their country and I I know that's important to other countries and people from around the world that they they take that seriously at least you know the professionals and the people that have enough recognition of what's actually happening and certainly me as an American having lived in other places and traveled to other places I, I, I work very hard to represent the country, if you will, around, you know, at least the values that I think are 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 most respected around the world. You know, this last four years, honestly, has been the most mm-hmm. difficult as a foreign person, as an American traveling the world, in the sense of, you know, what I get from people around the world is, oh my God, you know, wh- what's happened to you? You know, wh- what's wrong? You know, th- that kind of, behavior in terms of you know, how we we elected a, a president in a certain way and you know and i and i don't know how to completely answer that other than i'll typically say that you know every country goes through trials and error and and, and things that are good and bad and so we don't get into the politics um, side of it but but we do get into the point of that america is ethical Americans you Mm -hmm. can trust us you know that nothing has really changed there even though you know some of the other (laughs) things that you might see you know are may look bad but we're actually the business is still we're we're doing business we're we're on the up and up you know we're in it for the long run we respect you you know it's not just us first it's you know we 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 just like in any transaction in business if you kind of go in after it like hey i'm number 1 and you know nobody else is even you know second you know kind of that mm-hmm. kind of attitude people don't like to buy from people like that so you've so above and beyond kind of what's happening in whatever country you're from you've got to represent you know your own business your own ethics your own professionalism in ways that hopefully represent especially your mm-hmm. business. Um, uh, I, I don't think any businesses have probably been hurt in that way, but, but hopefully you can maintain the brand of, of your country as well or, or improve your brand of your country by being a, a good citizen, whether you're from the U.S. or whether you're from Niger or whatever country you're from. And, and so I think serious global tribers, you know, take that mm. seriously as definitely. well.
0: Definitely, definitely. Now, I know we're cutting a little close on time, but I don't want to end this conversation without talking about this because it is the overarching thing that is surrounding all of us, which is um, when we think of global travel, global business we can't help but think of covid and what's happening with the pandemic both at an economic level at a travel level or, you know in terms of regulations um and then obviously at a healthcare level and and the different ways that the countries are responding to it how have you seen um at a kind of a high level that it's impacting different businesses that are either in the process of moving to um to international or that already are and what are some of the you know challenges that you're seeing and what are some of the Best ideas, best practices that you've seen different people um, take on.
1: So there's good and bad news in this, and I'll, I'm an eternal optimist. So I'll start with the good news. When when I first imagined Global Chamber, I part of my um, the 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 adoption and the creation of it was frustration that people were so slow to connect mm-hmm. up with each other that the process was inefficient that that we had to like meet people in big networking events, which is such a, it seems to me, such a waste of time. And also then get to know them over a period of time, like you're starting from scratch. And I thought, gee, you know, there gotta be a better way to do this. And so I imagined a world where there was a trusted network of people so that if uh, Elizabeth, you told me, if I trust you and you trust me and you tell me, oh, gee, Doug, I know your business now, let me introduce you to Mary. And to John. Well, the conversation I'm going to have with Mary and John now is at a higher level. And I don't necessarily need to have go have 10 coffees with either of them because mm-hmm. you know them and you trust them. And so I want that world to exist. And so that was my vision, you know, five, six years ago. And lo and behold, the pandemic is here and we're not allowed mm-hmm. to have coffee with people 10 times anymore. and We can't travel. And so suddenly what we had imagined, kind of doing part-time is pretty much what we're, do- we're doing full-time, which is connecting people based on what they need. So you need customers in France. So who are they and what size company and what market segment are they? And so we make introductions for people that we know uh, on both sides. And so by doing that, they can have a conversation, an initial conversation and almost automatically start to do a transaction instead of having to visit each other and do so so on the positive side i think the world has changed forever mm-hmm. around that that we're able to build these trusted networks global chamber being you know we think the foremost one to allow people to do business much more quickly than than ever before the, the the downside of course is that you know we we ultimately do need to see each other on occasion the reason why we have trusted networks. Is we've spent mm-hmm. a lot of time with these people, you know, in person, and so so there needs to be at some point the ability to continue to do this, add more people to the network, etc. But we feel really good about where we are. We have over 40 million trusted people in our network, and it's growing. Um, we want to travel. I want to go to the Olympics next year. I I want 2021 to be our Europe year, which was supposed to be our 20, which blew apart in in March and so those are all things that need to happen but in the meantime there are ways to do business and many many industries many people you know outside of hospitality outside Mm -hmm. of restaurants are finding ways to do it in healthcare, in technology in manufacturing um, uh, in cannabis in new markets like that in fintech a variety of different hot industries that are happening deals being done and people making money, which is a great Absolutely. thing.
0: Absolutely. I love that that principle because it's true all the time. And no matter where you are in the world, if you have a network of people that you trust and you have connections, uh, you're going to be able to get information. You're going to be able to um, make introductions and referrals, I'm thinking back to literally, I first heard about the severity of COVID because we were talking to a company that did a lot of international shipping. And they were experiencing a lot of problems getting things out of China because uh, areas of China were shut down. And this was before it was really being a big story in the news here. And that was the first company that when we were talking to them, they said, "This looks like this is going to be the next really big global one," and they could see the future because of the strong relationships they had with people in China who were telling it to them, and then they told it to us. And certainly, you know, you have to validate information, and um, and there are certain people that you can trust maybe more than others. But having that network and having connections to people around the world um, is just such a powerful and valuable thing. Sometimes we don't even think about it.
1: Yeah, you. What you just described validated what I was trying to say before. You said it very eloquently in an example where when you have that vision of the world and you're, you're, you're open to ideas and you're open to facts and honesty and truth and just process it as it is instead of putting it through our filters, then you have a power, you have the ability to be extra special as a business. Unfortunately, so many times, whether it's, you know, in our daily life, or or whatever, we always have filters, we're always looking at things and processing things. And hopefully, as we get older, you know, it gets better, you know, unfortunately, too many people, Hmm. it gets worse. (laughs) So that's, that's really sad. They don't understand their own filters that are But if you have that clarity, like what you described, where you can get these data points from trusted sources and then start to make some conclusions about how to pivot, how to change, it's a powerful thing. And that's why uh, another reason why we we want more and more companies involved with international business, because it's going to help them internationally. It'll help them at home. It really shrinks
0: the world. All right. Um, I would love to hear from you. What are some books that you would recommend to our listeners? And if it's not books, if you um, you know prefer podcasts or uh, webinars or something else, a uh, newsletter, um, I'd love to hear that as well. But any resources that you feel would be useful for people who are interested in what they've been hearing today.
1: So, so I would say a few things. Number one is you know be part of the global tribe. You know that to me that's the number one. Is I've always. of thought that if we could create a global tribe of people that's the number one resource where you know each person can then share with each other about their ideas and information whether it's about covid or whatever it is and so being part of that network is absolutely critical i'm not sure there's another one although some like thunderbird school of global management has been an inspiration for me because graduates of Thunderbird are like that. But I always thought, gee, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a graduate. Why can't I have mm-hmm. that too? And so, so we kind of created a, a Thunderbird for anybody. Um, and by the way, we're heading, or our headquarters is moving into Thunderbird's headquarters when they finish it next year. So there's a, a lot of connection there. I think staying engaged, and so the, the point that you make about logistics and you know getting that data point. You know, asking questions, finding out what's going on in the area and beyond is really important. Talking to people. So enjoying people and learning to listen to people and and recognize, like many of us have learned, is that people are people, uh, no matter where they are. And there's a lot of superficialities Mm -hmm. about their clothes and their food and their dance and their skin color and their religion. Mm -hmm. They're all different, but ultimately Mm -hmm. they're the same. And that's what I think most of the global tribe people learn in terms of books and resources and things like that. The, the biggest resources for me along the way have been things on quality, like W. Edwards Deming was a pioneer in quality and understanding how to use data in your business. He was a he was a pioneer. I took a one week course from him and was a great inspiration for me. Another inspiration was a, a cultural Cross-cultural information, like Riding the Waves of Culture by Fons Trump and ours was, was the actual specific book that inspired me to say, wow, cultures are different and we can understand what they're different. It's quantitative. And there's plenty of work in that, in that world. And so as you, you progress in your international activities, getting a knowledge of how cultures are different is incredibly valuable. Um, there are plenty of resources on exporting and, mm-hmm. and business books. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't need to kind of go through those. I think those are what they are. You know, that there's plenty of good ones uh, definitely recommend that people stay engaged. But I think if, if uh, another one I wanted to mention was uh, uh, Covey who had the seven mm-hmm. uh, habits of successful. So that's uh, of have, uh, successful professionals. And so it, that allows you to be uh, productive in your work. So things around quality, things around Mm -hmm. culture, things around customer service, how to be more effective and productive, and things around innovation. Those are all really important things to stay in touch with all along your career. Keep reading, keep connecting, keep listening, and keep being flexible and resilient, and you'll be successful. Absolutely.
0: That's great advice for all of us. Well, if people want to learn more about you and your work and what it is that you do, where should they go, Doug?
1: So it's easy to find me at globalchamber.org. So globalchamber.org. So you'll see information about myself, of course, in LinkedIn. Everybody should be in LinkedIn. Um, It's funny that um, there are still some people in the world that Mm -hmm. don't use it, but actually not too many. And one of the great things about understanding people and, and whether to trust them or not That's actually one of the number one things that we do is just check out their LinkedIn profile Did they they list their college. Do they have people that they've recommended and vice versa. So make sure that you've fully developed your LinkedIn profile um, and uh, feel free to connect up with me there. Um, and, and, of course, through the global chamber as right. well.
0: Thank you so, so much for being here today, Doug. It was wonderful to hear from you. Um, I have so many ideas, and I definitely miss international travel even more after talking to you today than I did before we talked, so thank you.
1: Th- thank you, Elizabeth. I really appreciate it. You know, we didn't even get into some of the food <laughs> and cultural things that we could have gotten into and that I'm sure that is part of the reason why you enjoy some some of those things and why many of us do. But I, I wish everybody good luck. I wish you, you know, this, this is a time um, on the blessing side that COVID has taught us that we need to be flexible. It's allowed us to be closer to our family, closer than ever before. Hopefully that's a good <laughs> thing for most people out there. And certainly most of the people that I know, that that is a good thing. Um, but it also you know, creates the, the, the point in our lives where we really need to understand what's important. And if growth of your business is important, I hope you'll consider international growth.
0: Thank you so much for speaking with me today, Doug. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning into today's show. You just heard a conversation between Doug Brunke and Elizabeth Frederick. The notes for today's show can be found at criteriaforsuccess.com pod 286. You can also learn more from CFS on our blog at criteriaforsuccess.com insights or on Twitter at CFS Playbook. If you enjoyed today's show, hit subscribe from wherever you're listening and be sure to recommend us to a friend. Also, we'd love to hear from our listeners. Feel free to email us with questions, comments, and guest inquiries at podcast.criteriaforsuccess.com and leave us ratings and reviews in Apple Podcasts. Let's Talk Sales is a production of Criteria for Success and is produced by Elizabeth Frederick and me, Rylan Sylvester. Happy selling!